Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Hi, you're welcome along to Thursday's football show. Kev is in studio. How are you? Very good. Very good, Nathan, yeah. Good. And Dr. Alan Byrne is with us. Hey Nathan, this is a, we, it's very rare we have a it's actual makes real me nervous life doctor. When, when someone actually knows quite a lot about me personally, it makes me very nervous. Well, it's interesting when we're so, on uh, live on air. Yeah, uh, people will recognise your face. Anyone watching on our social channels, I'm sure, from following the Irish team, you've been the senior team doctor for what 15, 16 years at this stage. In my uh, 16th season, Nathan. Yeah, since Brian Kerr took charge. Brian was a few games into his tenure when my predecessor Martin Walsh uh, uh, stepped down after I think 13 years. So. Yeah, I started working with Brian um, and still here. Yeah, so uh, you're the medical director as well with the FAI. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of Irish football and the treatment of players at all ages. And there's a lot of stuff we want to get into. But it is interesting that Kev says he's nervous because <laughs> we get a lot of your former teammates into studio all the time. And it's always very relaxed and laughing and joking. When I mentioned that you were coming on, there was a, there was a definite shudder went down his spine of, uh-oh. What, what, what do you know that nobody else knows about Kevin Gilman? <laughs> Forget, forget about any oats you've taken. Yeah. Honesty is what we're looking for right now. I don't know what Kev's worried about, really. <laughs> uh, we've had a, a very strong relationship over a long, long time since I came into the team. Uh, Kevin was there already. And uh, we've just always got on really well. And I don't think he's anything to be worried oh, about. Oh, no, yeah, it's just it, it, when you know a little bit too much about me and we're live on air, that's the only, that's the only thing. Yeah, something might slip. But, Things uh, that you may know that tonight. maybe the manager didn't need to know about. Oh, there's plenty of that. There's plenty of that would have gone on over the years. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, well, I can't remember too much of it, Kev, yeah. I have to say. Yeah, good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are obviously still in the job and you're going to start working with Mick McCarthy now. Is, is that actually part of it when you have this sort of, obviously inside the dressing room, behind the scenes access, you have a relationship with the players, you have a relationship with the manager, sort of working out where the honesty lies at times? No, I don't. I, I, honestly, I don't, on a serious note, I mean, I, I take, it's an unbelievably privileged position, A, to be a doctor, is something I always wanted to be when I was growing up, but to, and I love football. To be the uh, senior team doctor was something I never thought of, really. Um, and it's a job I, I, you know, I take very seriously. All joking aside, I've made some unbelievable friends like Kevin and many of the lads who've, you know, uh, been through the squad. And um, I think one of the important things uh, for me has always been um, to treat the players equally, first of all, and um, to treat them as as patients. I think that's an important thing. Not always, you know, when you follow a sport. Um, I remember a long time ago. Uh, when I was working with Shelburne, making a decision on the pitch um, with a very, very good friend of mine who'd gone over on his ankle. And I knew coming off that it was probably not a good decision. We got beaten by Derry. Derry went on to win the league. And the manager correctly pulled me up on it uh, after the match. And I remember thinking, if you think with your heart as a team doctor, you're going to make a mistake. So it's best to think with your head. Um, but I think to treat the players equally and to treat them as patients is really important. And, you know, um, as I said, I've been lucky, you know, a lot of the lads who've nearly, all the, all the lads who've reached 100 caps, Kevin, Duffer, Robbie, Shay, um, and uh, St Steve Staunton, I, 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 but I worked with Steve, uh, Stephen as, a, as a, the manager. So, but I, I think it's important to treat all of the players, you know, when they're coming through to make them feel welcome, as all the staff do, you know. Um, and I think probably most importantly, 
as all the players do, because I've seen the baton being handed on from, you know, fellas that were around when I when I started, you know, like Gary Breen, Lee Carsley, um, handing the baton on to the likes of Robbie and Duffer, and then them that handing it on to Seamus and others, and and that continues to happen, and I think that's a great you know quality of the of the players. So, all joking aside, I, I do take it very seriously. I know we're joking, and there is you do need to enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Mm. It is how, how difficult is it to make that judgment? You say that you made a decision there that you maybe slightly regret, or you would have made a different decision. How, because I would have been the same myself. I would have been pestering you at times if I wasn't quite fit or wasn't quite right. Alan, I need to be playing this game, and that would have happened quite regularly over the years, wouldn't it? It's difficult then to try. How difficult is then to to, to get that balance? Okay, so player, not for a minute. Do I believe that the players tell me everything that's going on? I think mm. that would be foolish. Now, what I'm saying is a decision where, you know, um, I remember having to tell Harry Arthur he couldn't come to the Euros in 2016. Straightforward, professional decision. And I felt sorry for Harry to be mm. able to, on a personal level, but on a professional level, it was an easy decision. I remember, um, these are not, I'm not breaking any confidence. I remember Keith Fahey training in the last session in Aviva before we went to, before the squad was finalised um, 2012 and he pulled up at his groin. We went to the matter and a great colleague um, and uh, friend, Professor Steve Eusis, uh, radiologist, who's been with me through this journey all along, um, scanned him. He'd got a clear tear in his muscle. And I remember having to tell Keith that was it. You know, he wasn't going to be coming to the Euros. It was very upsetting on a personal level. Mm -hmm. But on a professional level, that's an easy decision. But I think th that decision, what I'm, as I learned, that's back, that decision, that was back in 1995, if, I correct. so that's, if I'm correct. So that's a long time ago. I just swore after that that I, the, the manager, who was Damien Richardson at the time, who was incredibly good to me in terms of giving me the chance, um, said to me, you didn't do your job properly that night. And he, I said to him, you're dead right, you're dead right, I didn't. And I said to him, I'd never let it happen to me again. And it's one of the things, I think, when you're um, advising younger doctors and physios, that you must make sure you think with your head. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, but it, it is really important to think with your head. You know, if you think about when things started to go wrong with your back and all of that, mm. uh, it became an easy decision. That wasn't a difficult decision. But I do remember, as will happen when we meet up in March, there will be players coming in that will maybe need a bit of reassurance about that they can train or that they might need some time off and that involves a communication with the staff, you know, we've got a very extensive staff now and with the management. Uh, with the, what you're trying to do is obviously make sure as a player, as a, as a, uh, the, the team doctor, can the player be fit to play on the day to do themselves justice? Because we'd often talk about the fans mightn't realise all that's gone on but you're going to be judged by your performance on yeah, the day. Yeah. And I think to, to make sure, because tell me one player who doesn't want to play. I've never, I've never met a player for Ireland that I never thought wanted to play. But that's sometimes thinking with this, and sometimes you need to say, you need to think with your head. And that might take a few conversations, and trust is such an important thing, as you know, in, in the, in the um, area that we're involved in, where you can build a trust. And you can only build trust over time where decision-making is consistent, honest, professional, and, and correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
It sounds as though that, that very early incident in your career then with Damien Richardson, it, it, it's crucial because <laughs> you find yourself then in this red-hot atmosphere and the emotion of football and you're running out at the Aviva or you're at a European Championship and the, the weight of a nation, everybody wants everything to be perfect, everyone wants everyone to be fit and a player goes down and it's an important player and you want him to continue and you probably want him to continue. To have had that set in stone from very early, 20 years previous that, no, I know I've got to make this with my head. It was a, it was a lifelong lesson, Nathan. Mm. I'll never forget it. Because Derry went on to win the league that year. Uh, I learned an awful lot of what I did at that Shelburne team, made some incredible friends. Um, in fact, the player it happened to turn, it became my best friend. And it was an incredible lesson and one that, a very valuable lesson. So, yep, it's funny uh, when you talk about running onto the pitch. I don't get the sense or hear the crowd or hear the noise. It's just about the player. Just doing your job. Uh, what, what, what about the other side of it? You say with Damien Richardson taught you something valuable then that if you're feeling, if you're, or if you've ever felt pressure from a manager to not necessarily trying to put a thought into a player's head, but basically trying to get a player fit when they're maybe 50-50, maybe even 70-30 against, when there is a chance, but you might be pushing it a bit too far, but they may get through that game. They may or may not, and you're on the pressure from, from a manager. So I understand all of the managers want the players fit. That's a given. I understand the players want to play. And what you're trying to do is make sure that you make a clear judgment, that you don't let that interfere with you or that interfere, that you can justify your decision. You must be able to justify it to the player first and foremost and to the management because there's a responsibility to both the management, the players, the rest of the staff, the association, the country, you know, the fans. But it starts off, and I'm going to go back to some of the principles, the player is the patient. So forget about football for a moment and you walk into my office in Temple Oak and we have a discussion and it, it's clear that you need to go and get a scan for your back and we need to do this. So it's a clear decision. And all I'm just saying is you just need to apply that same clarity about your decision making and not let the emotion uh, come into it. Because if you do that, I've just told, I'll give you an example of mm. how that was a bad mistake. But I that's, don't that's think a hard thing to do from me walking into you in Temple Oak and missing two days of it, work. It, no, it, it sure. doesn't have any great bearing, uh, I, 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 whereas I, I, missing I, I, a major match, yeah, as you say, I, the entire I mean, nation I would say on, on the opposite side of that as well, I, I was, uh, it was before Giovanni Trapassoni's first competitive game, we were due to play Georgia in mm. Germany, and I fractured my cheekbone. So I fractured my cheekbone on the Saturday playing for Hull. Um, and I just dropped Alan a text actually, so I dropped him a text. Just I, I was I was actually thinking more about the Irish game the week after for that Georgia match. So I dropped Alan a text. Alan, look, I'm out of the game, um, fractured my cheekbone. That's it. And so anyway, I I think I was on the, the I think it was maybe I rang you that evening. I think we had the conversation that evening. I maybe let you take it up, but I think I, I, Alan assured me in a way that look there's a chance you might be fit for this. This is not a, an injury that you, that's actually insurmountable here. That was the thing we had the conversation immediately, didn't we? You text me, it was a Saturday actually, and you text me almost the game was over, you'd fractured your zygomatic arch, like a cheekbone there. So it, it can be a crack that can drop, it, can, it might need to be lifted up, whatever. Um, if you remember, there was a little bit of pressure at the time um, for you to have other medical tests because, and the doctor was, we were having yeah, a bit of yeah, a dispute yeah. and I had to remind him that you could do a blood test for this, you didn't have to do a scope. And yeah. so, uh, you, that was September 2008, if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> we, we would play Georgia in mines because there was a war going on in Georgia and Montenegro was the second, we won 2-1. Um, uh, we, 
so, so what happened is when you came in, we went to St. James's Hospital and they, and I think this is really important, there's so many people help us out, Nathan. It's unbelievable the amount of people that have helped out over the years. So the maxillofacial surgeon got his technician to spend the, so well, I don't know if you remember what we did, you got measured with, for yeah. a face mask too. We said, we'll get two. He came up to my house for lunch <laughs> and then we went back and got fitted. You played against Georgia and you played against Montenegro. And I suppose that's not a difficult decision as long as that the fracture wasn't depressed and you didn't need surgery. So it was an undisplaced fracture and all we were doing was protecting it. And obviously I discussed it with the maxillofacial surgeons. I wasn't going to put you at risk if I thought that that was going to be a problem. Mm. But I felt that until we met, we wouldn't know that. And then, then you work on the rest of it. So, Do you always get the final say? In what was in When it comes to an, in, an injured player and whether or not they're fit to play in the match? I would be, anybody who knows me, I would be very clear in my decision making and I would be very firm in my opinion. If it came down to a very serious situation, like for example a concussion, or a, I would be, I would absolutely insist. I think when it comes down to muscle injuries where the longer term health of a player is not at risk. So say somebody's got a tight hamstring and I think you've got a, players, not for a minute do I believe there are times players went out with things that weren't quite right and you might you'd know that a little bit. But was it okay or safe for them to play? And the answer to that would be yes. So where it was a serious situation, for example, I mentioned about Harry and, and Keith. They were no-brainers. I remember feeling for them on a personal level. So there was no way, say, with Harry Arter for your 2016, he could have gone and taken a painkiller no. before every game? No, he, he, no, absolutely not. And I was very clear about that, to Harry and to the management. And that's the end of story? Well, he didn't go to the Euros, yeah. did he? Yeah. That, that conversation you talk about, so when Kevin gets that injury and you're in contact with the club, and, and this comes up quite a bit, probably came up around James McCarthy and Everton and the, I guess, consistent injury problems he had. Is that generally <coughs> a straightforward conversation or, or relationships with the clubs in England quite cordial? Or is there always a wariness on their part, I guess, that you're taking this hugely valuable asset out of their belonging for a couple of weeks and there's a bit of nervousness around that? Or is there generally a, a good relationship? I think, so I've, I've obviously, I've been at it a long time and I've tried very hard to build some strong relationships. There wasn't, but I'd say maybe 10, 14, 10, 12 years ago, there was very little change in medical staff at teams. Uh, and I remember uh, one of the doctors losing his position uh, at a very big club. And then there was a merry-go-round of chopping and changing. And there's a lot of pressure on the medical staff within as there is in the manager and in the players. I think if you understand that and recognise, as I often say to the lads, because I meet them at conferences, like we, we meet each other, like there's the World Football Conference is on in April. I meet all of those guys. And I think if you recognise that they've got a difficult job to do and you've your job to do, I think off air, before we started, Nathan, I mentioned to you that our players, the Irish players would swim across the Irish Sea to play for Ireland. That's been my experience. That's not rose-tinted. That's a fact. From Kevin right the way to all the guys now, the guys before that, they all wanted to come over and play. And I think when you have that, we just talked about the fractured uh, cheekbone. Come over. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I'll come over. I remember Matt Holland arriving in one time. His ankle was up like a balloon. And I said, oh my God. I said, Matt, you know you can't play. He said, well, I wanted to come over. 
I said, well, yeah, you know, you don't have to go back. But sit lying there, ankle up like a balloon. I can give you loads of examples of that players coming over. Like, I just want to come over and I want to, I want to, I want to be there. So when you've got that, and then the players can go to the medical staff. The, the, the medical staff of the clubs have a difficult job. I think they know the lads coming over and playing for Ireland is very important to them. So just to go back to Everton, because there was a lot of talk going on about that at the time. I, I've got a very strong relationship with all of the medical staff at Everton. Um, and if you remember when Seamus Coleman fractured his tibia and fibula uh, in, uh, in Aviva, I spoke to their head of medicine in the dressing room and the normal practice would be that the club would want their surgeon to do the job. And he just said to me, Alan, and this is because we have had a trusting relationship all through all of those things that maybe people mightn't recognise, mm. they might have looked as if it was a bit fraught. Um, and he said, whatever you feel. I said, well, um, Professor John O'Byrne, who's our uh, professor of orthopaedics in the College of Surgeons, is our orthopaedic surgeon. And Gary O'Toole, who's well-known orthopaedic surgeon, operated on Seamus that, uh, that early that, that morning. Uh, sorry, that following morning, about 6, 6.30 in the morning. And that showed, so Seamus would be a very valuable, if you want to look at it this way, acid on mm. the Everton balance sheet. I hate to think of Seamus like that, but that's, you know, if you want to... 30, 40 million pounds you, worth of analysis. Yeah. Relative, yeah. And, and, you know, um, and I think, um, you know, they were very happy for us to, to operate on, on Seamus. And then he did a lot of, he spent his time in Ireland and we looked after him while he was in Ireland before he went back to Everton. And, you know, um, so it, it, it's a long, building up of a long-standing relationship and trust. And I think you've got to, you have to recognise that the, player, the medical staff, the clubs, it's tough, it's tough for them, Nathan, I think. So it, it, there can be professional differences. Ultimately, it's a bit like if you make a bad decision as a doctor, well, you know where that ends up in court. Mm. So, and not that that should be a way of making decisions, but you need to make good decisions. And if you can justify your decisions and they hold up to good standard of medical practice, well, then I think you can stand over those decisions. So there are, have been some robust conversations, but I wouldn't say there have been any, you know, I've got great respect for the people working over there in a very difficult situations at times. Yeah, and I guess we love a little bit of controversy, but you're all smart guys and you stay in your positions, it seems, for generally quite a long time, whereas managers tend to come and go and can say things and can throw things out there, but you have to have your own more long-term relationships. Um, well, I, n I never went out. I, I mean, I never knew how long it was going to last, Nathan, and I still don't know. And if Mick McCarthy didn't want me or the rest of the staff there. We have a lot of experience. There's a lot of experience within our group um, built up over many years and you need that um, when you're going into qualifiers and big, big games. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, uh, and I have to say the, the, the board of the FAI, I think have each time recommended the medical staff to stay on. And uh, thankfully, the management have been happy with that. But um, I never had a plan. I never I never thought I was going to be in this position, so I, I, I'm very, you know, appreciative of the position I'm in, I, as are all the staff, I think, and uh, we never take it for granted. That night when Seamus Coleman broke his leg, that must have been one of those nights where that, that night and thinking with your head, not your heart, yeah. comes to the fore when you walk out and you see exactly what's happened. And I guess even from the mm -hmm. pictures and from you being a foot away, do you, do you realise instantly that this is this is a broken leg, this is <coughs> well, a catastrophe for Seamus? I suppose again, and I, I, 
it's like as if the ground is in silence. I can't describe it to you. It's like as if you don't hear anything. So I remember running onto the pitch, and uh, Seamus will tell you what he said to me. He said, I've broken my leg, Doc. And I said, I know. That's actually what, that was the conversation, because anyone, third-year medical student could know he'd broken it. You don't need, so I just, well, it's, then it's just your, your job clicks into gear. We've got massive support, like uh, Professor John O'Byrne, who I've mentioned, Kieran Murray, who's been with the senior team for 20 years. We've got, you know, consultant anaesthetists, trauma people, uh, frontline emergency medical technicians, all, and we've got a plan, you know, we've, mm. we've a, a written plan that says we do this, this, and this when this happens. So, yeah, I, it, it, I, you know, it's, I think the aftermath sometimes you might reflect on it, but at the time, I can't say I, I think about it. In fact, I often think the ground is silent, and I know that sounds really odd, but that's... Do you know, in relation then to some of the injuries, I, I'm thinking of freak injuries that you've dealt with in the past as well would be the Shane Duffy injury that was on the training ground up in Malahide at the time. Yeah. I'd, I'd just actually come out of the squad at that time. I'd just mm. finished up playing, but... How was that then? Obviously, you're away. You, you wouldn't necessarily have everything available to you on that pitch at the time. I don't know. You tell me any different. But at the stadium, you're thinking you've got everything available to you. You've got ambulances or whatever it would be you'd need at that at that time. But this was a free. This was totally for, different. For people who don't remember, this was basically it was like a sunny May evening out in Malahide. It was a behind closed door challenge game. There was there was a few of us there, media who were allowed to watch on for I think it was was a developmental Irish team. There was a lot of young yeah, players a League of Ireland against an amateur. Yeah, against an amateur selection. And this was a absolute happens every match. Defender and goalkeeper collide. Yeah, so it was the junior international team, uh, and we had, I suppose, we had prepared in the same way we normally do. We had two ambulances on site. Um, John sorry, sorry, I didn't know. Sorry, that's John, this is what, yeah. John, John O'Byrne was. Um, well, is it, there is a good lesson in it for you know for all of us. I suppose John O'Byrne, our orthopedic surgeon, was there. We had all our medical equipment, and of course, again, it's different when you get to know somebody really well over time. Shane was 19, mm. and, and it was almost like a third string, with no disrespect to that group, second stroke, third string. And I remember going over to the physio of the junior international team, and I introduced myself, and I said, look, if you need, any, how, if you need anything during the course of the day, I said, we, we, you know, I'm more than happy to help out. Um, and it was a free kick, um, and the keeper, I think, came out with both legs up as, as his style, and it looked like it was hard to see from the sideline. But I remember if, when I looked back in the video, Kieran Murray went onto the pitch first, and if you check, if you watch, if you count, he makes a decision at about 11 seconds to go like this to me, but I know now we're, so onto the pitch, within about the same time frame I turn around and say, I can't tell you why I knew, don't, Darren O'Dea, and this is no disrespect, Darren walked by, he said, don't mind him, Doc, he's just winded. That's, I swear to God, that's as Darren might say, because it looked Darren O'Dea just tweeted us tonight, by the way, to uh, tell you, did he? you yeah, that you're the best Doc around. So, <laughs> I would say, Sorry yeah. about that, Darren. I would say <laughs> that. I would say that, yeah. No, no, he didn't. He says what footballers say. It, it was a typical <laughs> thing, and, and, and to be honest with you, that was, if you're asking, looking back on that, um, because Shane nearly died, um, and without John O'Burns, decision making in the ambulance and without the matter and all of that, the, Jerry McEntee who did the surgery, uh, he would have died. I mean, he, he bled three and a half litres into his abdomen. Um, one of the weirdest parts of that night was the manager had given us the night off and I was meeting my wife with um, one of the kitmen, Mick Lawler, and his wife go out for dinner. I said, I can't go, I've got to go to the matter. So when they found where the problem was, they were going to operate. And I was with Shane's dad, if I remember correctly, his uncle, 
his nephew, Pat Costello, who's the head of FAI Man Operations Inc. at that stage, uh, myself and John O'Byrne. And we're in Fibsborough, and I'm trying to think, what we do? So this is ridiculous. We went to Eddie Rockets to have a cup of tea because I didn't know where else to go. So we're sitting there in the booth, and John O'Byrne gets a phone call after about 20-odd minutes, and he goes out, and we can see him walking up, and he comes in. And, you know, when somebody's walking, and at, as you get closer, I wasn't sure what he was going to say. He said, uh, they found everything is fine. They've stopped the bleeding. Shane is fine. And we ran out of the Eddie Rockets, jumping around like... Shane's father said to me, Alan, it's like winning the World Cup. And I said, Brian, I think Brian's... A, I said, it's Brendan. I said, it's much bigger than that. And uh, you're talking about Everton, actually. Um, the chairman of Ken... Uh, Bill Kenright. Bill he was in LA. He rang me about half an hour later because uh, he'd heard about it, and uh, so we went in to see to see the surgeon Jerry McEntee, who was unbelievable. The next day, went into in twos to see Shane, you know, and um, Dick Redmond, who uh, Kevin would know, Kipman, everybody knows Dick. They had to cut the jersey off, so um, Dick was given out about having to cut the jersey off, and <laughs> Shane. I remember Shane saying to me, he "said Doc, I'm sorry if it was much too much trouble, you know." It's a big scar here going. Yeah. Like, I said, too much trouble, you know. So a few days after that, I definitely, it definitely dawned on me that he could have died, you know. And that was probably the only time. But at the time, I, it was not. It was a, like, call the ambulance on, get going. Right. I do remember meeting his dad at the ambulance. said, you better travel in the ambulance as your son is very unwell. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew he was sick. Because we, we have a picture there, actually, of the, of the scar that... Shame if he had back when he was playing with Everton. Like yeah. it's, as you say, it's a good what six, seven inches. Well, it goes across yeah. and yeah, up. Yeah, I thought initially the way he he traumatized the sack around his heart, which is an unusual injury. But of course, it's a very it's a, it's a very serious injury. But this, when we looked back at it, my phone got blocked at about three hundred and eighty-seven text messages I, from people I didn't even know. Mm. Uh, who, and we looked up in the literature, and this had never been reported in the literature in obviously soccer. Gaelic football, rugby, NFL, Aussie rules football. It had never been reported, uh, the rupture of this artery uh, in, in, in that situation. So, but that was a unique, well, it is a unique by definition, but, mm. and it was probably four or five days afterwards that it dawned on me that, you know, um, a funny thing, my wife had organised a surprise 50th party, party for me, and it was a few days after that, which I, you know, for lots of reasons, I was thinking it would have been really <laughs> something we couldn't have had, you know? Yeah, like the, but the way you talk about that injury, it, it's a freak injury, but it can't be a freak thing that you saved him. It can't be a freak thing that when you got there as a medical team, I, you realise it wasn't that he was winded or that he'd broken ribs or that it was something that you might see on a regular basis. Well, to be honest with you, Nathan, I'd love to tell you, I mean, I, I perhaps the few days after as I dawned on me, because somebody definitely helps you in those situations. That was your own experience. I just knew he was unwell. I hadn't even examined him, but I knew he was really unwell. Um, and I'm just glad that we made the decision. I'm not just Kieran Murray myself, the, all of the people who helped out. John O'Byrne was un made an unbelievable decision to change direction and go to the matter as opposed to Bowman. Not that the, just that's where the expertise was. And obviously Jerry saved his, mm -hmm. did the surgery, you know. So. Well, he's certainly making the most of his second chance. That's yeah, sure. it's great to, yeah. Sometimes when, we're, when he's on the treatment table, no, I just I said, so where'd you get that scar? Occasionally. Yeah, yeah. You'll never, ever forget it. One of the reasons why I wanted to get Jim was because your name came up quite a lot talking to Kevin or Keith Andrews or Brian Kerr or John Giles, and they all speak 
so highly of you. And for some reason, I don't know why, I would have thought, like, sport is quite cold at times and relationships, you move on with your life and you might stay mates with a couple of your teammates, but everybody else you sort of move on from. But it's very much not the case. It seems you have a, a deeper relationship with these players, a, ve a very personal relationship. Um, I, well, I, I'm just... I've made a lot of friends through mm. football. I mean, I, I, it wasn't something I'd planned. We, we stayed in contact after football because, you know, we had a, a friendship through it as well as a professional relationship. And the same with Brian. You know, I mean, I've known Brian since he was in the League of Ireland. I still, I always love listening to talk about football. Love listening to him on the radio. Football is important to me. Mm. I, I love football, but I love footballers. I. Your dad was steeped in football. My dad w was massive influence. Uh, I mean, all I can remember is going to football matches. Um, played in the Leinster Senior League, managed the show. You, you played yourself for Stella, Stella Maris as well. I played for Stella yeah. Maris, yeah. But uh, actually, John Anderson was at the Soccer Riders team. Yeah. He was the captain of the team, and Dave Henderson, a few others. But uh, no, I was I was useless compared to those guys, <laughs> and I mean it properly yeah. useless. Your dad, Johnny, was a Shelburne manager. My dad managed Shelburne twice. He was the assistant manager at Rovers for um, with Gilesy, um right. uh, for three years, and then he got the chance at Shells. But I mean, long before then, all we ever did was go to football matches, go to training. So it's all I can really recall doing. Um, you know, my dad was a goal scorer. We used to go to the back of the goals I'd be playing in because he'd always score. <laughs> so it was they brought it, Leicester Senior League brought out some centenary booklet, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever, and they showed a 1963 team and I was the mascot and I was three years of age then, so you can figure out who I am now. But I, I, yeah, football, and footballers, I, 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 I like footballers. They're, 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 there's something that endears me to them and if you can help them out, no matter how talented or, you know, I mean, I deal with a lot of amateur footballers, a lot of, and Playing football to me was important. You know, the weekend was important. So if you can't get to play, it used to be like it ruined the weekend. Yeah. So it's it's nice to be able to be working on something you love. And, and it's obviously then those friendships are a very personal thing. Is there also a professional keeping in touch when players retire? That making sure that because it can be quite a steep drop off that cliff when they retire as professional footballers yeah. of of just making sure that things are still ticking along for them. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely I, w I would have come across uh, a number of players who, I think we were, we were um, I mean, I, I, I sent Damien Duffer a t uh, text last night just to see how he was settling in because I've known Damien such a long time, same as I've known Kevin and, you know, settling in well and big thing from Tamuva's family over there. Um, but at the Liam Miller tribute game, I remember asking Duffer, I said, do you miss football? Now, just because we were in now the dressing room environment you you know and it was mm. like it's, it was mm. great to see everybody there and he said i don't miss the football he said i just miss the focus that football gave me and i thought that was a really good answer you know because it's such a void you know uh, to replace that and most people most footballers my career as a doctor really once you do your postgraduate stuff it starts around 32 or 33 a lot of footballers are finishing then mm. and then it's filling that gap you know, um, so it's it's a it's a very significant problem. I you know I don't I, but uh, do I keep in touch with the players? They keep in touch with me. Usually they want something, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that. But I'm 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 very I'm very happy to. I don't think just because they're not with the team that I, we should end that relationship because it's a long-standing yeah. relationship, and I think they know I I would do anything for them. You know. I think we've got to take a break now in a second, but I, I do want to. 
get to you maybe after the break around mental health and the issues around football now that we're seeing constantly as well. So maybe we'll... Yeah, you, yeah. you can stick with us for another while? Of course, yeah. Right, we'll Thank take you. a quick break. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Welcome back to Thursday's football show. We're being joined in studio by Dr. Alan Byrne, who is the senior team doctor with the Republic of Ireland international side and also the FAI's medical director. A lot of texts coming in. Lads, the studio IQ has just gone up 200%. <laughs> Very harsh from Phil. <laughs> we had Pori Coleman's been on as well. He said, uh, brilliant Dr. Alan Byrne. He said, lucky to have him at Shamrock Rovers and I did my cruise shit as well. So there's a few uh, ex-players coming on here tonight as well. I haven't met Dr. Byrne, only seen him on TV, but just listening to the man, you can hear the composure and authority that must have been very reassuring for the likes of Kev. Impressive guy, says Steve. That side of it is, is, is a different thing, I guess, like, it's, it's your bedside manner is when Seamus Coleman breaks his leg, there's the medical side of what you can do and put into practice and, as you say, it's all written out what goes. There's also another job that you do need to reassure him that he can come back. Yeah, it was, um, went out to see Seamus the day after surgery, we had a day off. So I just went out on my own actually because we were doing different things and I, 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 didn't, I wasn't leaving the hotel so up for that and I went over and he was still asleep so I remember him waking up and he was a bit upset uh, naturally. But the next day I met him, next day we went, the staff went out to see him and the players went out as well and he, um, he was very clear and back focused about how he was going to come back and, and I think as well support from his family um, and his wife and his wife's family incredible. We went up to see them in Donegal and it was, it was unbelievable. Myself and Kieran went up uh, to sort of look at his wound and all that and sort of communicate with Everton. But it was, it, it was, he knew he was going to do well and you could see where he came from and why he is the guy he is, you know, uh, surrounded by really good people, you know, it was, we had a great, great afternoon there. Fantastic, you know. You're clearly incredibly passionate about Irish football and football in general. Are you allowed to show that as a team doctor on the <laughs> sideline? Yeah, I just somebody sent me uh, a good while ago a picture. I think when Wes Wes scored against Sweden, and I've known Wes obviously when he was in the League of Ireland, and I I mean it, I look like a complete madman. <laughs> I mean, I look like a lunatic, but I, I yeah, of course you are. Listen, you have to enjoy it, Nathan. It's important because you know you, you sort of go out and the, the lads go out on the pitch. You're the you're the support staff, and the difference in the atmosphere. The plane flies on its own on the way back if we win or if it's a good result. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. And you know then you think of the next game and we have a chance of qualifying. And yeah, of course you have to enjoy it. And if it's not a passion for you, I think you might be wasting your time. Mm. Just for the break there, I spoke about players or ex-players, well, mental health issues and 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 things like this. Nathan touched on something about aftercare and people and lads still staying in contact with. I would have had it to an extent myself. Back injury that ended up finishing me playing. Um, issues that would have had. You spoke about Damien coming to you about the structure in life. So. How, what is being put in place now? What are we seeing now differently than probably what we saw 20 years ago with, with, uh, with young players coming into the game and, and the, the mental awareness, I would have thought, that's been put into, into those players now? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything specific in terms... Uh, there's greater awareness, I suppose. That's yeah. one of the first things. I actually think um, mental health in my own practice, say in my general practice, is such a common thing. I see on a full day, I see at least three people with mental health issues every single day in a full day's work, say. Um, 
So it doesn't surprise me that footballers would fall into that category. I think, I don't know if you're talking off air, or maybe I mentioned it, that at, at 32, 33 years of age, as a doctor, your career is sort of getting off the ground. Mm. As a footballer, it's finishing, mm. almost, unless you're, and it's trying to fill that void. So I think mental health, I, I'm, I, I want to be careful what I say, but it's almost part of normal life, I feel, in a way. Uh, certainly it has become that way. There's definitely greater awareness, particularly, mm. I mean, women are renowned for sorting out some of their problems themselves, between themselves. Men are not as good about that. You can meet a guy. It's hard sometimes for a footballer to say, I'm struggling. You know, because mm. you're the player who's got the 110 caps, or you're the player who's scored all the goals, or you're the player who is, you know, liked by everybody, or you're the... And then, you, then it's, well, I'm the player who's hurting inside here. I'm, I'm, I've lost something here and uh, I feel down and depressed or whatever. So I think there's greater awareness. Um, I think there's greater awareness in society. Uh, I think the problem, not the problem, but the difficulty for footballers is it happens, it's like adulation like that. And also, you know, I think the to succeed as a footballer, I believe, you have to be obsessed. You have no chance of making it if you're on there. You have to have ability, of course, but you must be obsessed. So things like families can suffer, family relationships, personal relationships, all of those types of things. Because your family becomes the club and the players or the squad, you know, or the staff, and, and then that's gone. So I don't know if there's anything definite in place. Mm. Uh, I think that depends a little bit on your network, if you like. Yeah. And if your network is good, and people recognise, and you can pick up the phone and say, "Look, I need a bit of help here." And we've had, you know, at Shamrock Rovers, where I uh, have been working as a consultant for 19 years in the academy, and uh, they've been hugely um, uh, supportive of the whole mental aspect, health aspect. And uh, we're actually running a conference, the FAI, on uh, for the doctors and physios, for the international doctors and physios, and League of Ireland doctors, on the adolescent elite athlete and. Um, Mary Larkin, who's a psychotherapist and counsellor and who's treated a lot of young players, um, is speaking at that uh, because obviously we're talking about you know, physical aspects of mm. rehabilitation and injury, but the mental health aspect of it. And maybe 20 years ago, that mightn't have been on that agenda, you know, whereas I think it, it most definitely mm. needs to be now. And what sort of issues are you seeing in that sort of younger age group of, I guess, wannabe footballers, the incredibly talented, sure. want to live the dream? But I guess for the vast majority of them, it simply won't happen. Yeah. Um, the same problems that you get in an older cohort, except it's happening at a younger age. So depression, anxiety, uh, drug issues, alcohol issues, gambling issues, all of the above, insecurity. Um, so exactly the same things that happen. It's, I, I feel it's just it happens a decade or 15 years earlier. I'm not saying it doesn't happen to mm. young people, of course it does. Um, is, is, is it magnified then on them because of the pressure of wanting to be that professional footballer, that basically that age between 15 and 19 is either when you make it or you don't? Yeah, I think it's for players who, uh, who um, when I started at Legal Ireland, there's a lot of players who were coming back mm. from England and they were devastated by the sense of failure and having to you know, face their friends and they'd gone off to a big club and now they were coming back. I remember one player um, unbelievably, one of the most talented players in the League of Ireland, being handed his first pay packet playing with Shelburne, and he'd been a really very, very good player, had played in the fir old first division, and handed it back to the guy who was given and said, I don't want that. Because he couldn't, 
he couldn't get to grips with the fact that now he was seen to be a failure. Um, so it's, I think it's a part of normal life, Nathan. Mm. It's just, it comes at a bit earlier for, at a, you know, and maybe for different reasons or overlapping reasons. And there's perhaps greater, you know, footballers, and this is not being disrespectful to them, live in a little bit of a bubble where life can't be real. You were joking about Kevin make me coffee before we came in. <laughs> I'm sure Nobody Kevin makes you. <laughs> but but footballers are used to getting things done for them. And then you end up with you've got to do it yourself. Well, how do you cook? And mm. and where is my passport? And you know, all those types. And that might sound to, you know, the non footballer as being, you know, being ridiculously spoiled. But that is the world of football. So when you take that away, that support system. Yeah. The chances of falling off the cliff quickly are very, you know, it's a steep fall. We'd love to talk to you more about that and about some sure. of the other initiatives as well, because as I say, you are the medical director of the FAI, so there's a lot of things around cardiac screening that we might come back to over the next couple of, of months. Obviously, March is what everybody's thinking about in Gibraltar and Georgia. Your job, though, I presume at this stage, there is still a role there. You're liaising with clubs. Oh. You're, like you mentioned Shane Long goes down last night. Is sure. Your role is to call Southampton, find out, report back to Mick McCarthy? Absolutely, yeah, on a regular basis, every, every weekend and during the week. Uh, because the manager will need to know if he wants to go and see the players and if that trip will be worthwhile, if he's going to be in the squad. Obviously, the clubs have their own. They want to make sure that they, um, you know, they have to protect their, 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 if you like, whether the player is going to be in the squad or not mm. for, so that they don't give away too much to the opposition. But again, that's where the trust <laughs> I was talking to you about comes in. And I think, uh, yeah, that's an ongoing communication. It, it gets much more intense closer to squad announcement time because now we really need to make sure players are playing so they can be included in the squad as the manager wants them to be. We barely even mentioned Giovanni Trapattoni. I felt yeah. it was going to be an hour in the Trapattoni era I know. alone. I know. Well, that would be interesting. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We might come to that the next time as well. Alan, thank you very much for coming in. It's been yeah. a really good insight. We're getting lots of uh, good texts in as well. That's great. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store.